Welcome to the Insider Outsider Podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders around the globe about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. We at WMFDP and FDP Global specialize in helping insiders understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders, as well as outsiders, in partnering and building inclusive teams and organizations. I'm your host, Michael Welp, co-founder of the diversity and inclusion leadership development firm WMFDP and FDP Global, also a TEDx presenter and author of the book, Four Days to Change. Welcome to another episode of the Insider Outsider podcast. I am excited to have a very creative uh, innovator guest today, Annika Komen, a senior consultant at WMFDP and FDP Global. And we're talking today about the Leadership Accelerator, which is a awesome, innovative process that we're going to be in dialogue about. So welcome, Annika. Thank you, Michael. It's a it's an also a new um, program and product offering from WMFDP that we're starting to launch and have conversations with both existing clients and and new clients about what does it mean to actually move from the sphere of awareness and expanding our consciousness into taking action and moving the dial in this work. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah. I know when I share with uh, our clients about that, what you just mentioned about that experimenting in action, their eyes brighten and they're like, wow, that's good. We need that, that, that full finishing that loop from awareness to uh, into action and is, is, is an edge that a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to have you uh, sort of help lead the st- telling of the Genesis story of how, how did this, program come to be? Yeah. You know, one of the things as I was reflecting on telling the Genesis story and I was, was like, what, what makes it so meaningful for me? And one was that we didn't take no or resistance or challenges and have that stop us. We, um, we came together to imagine what was possible, imagine what was essential and, and create together. And when I say we, I'm talking about our client, um, McCain Foods. McCain is, I think, one of the one of the larger, largest producers of potato products in the world and the largest manufacturer of frozen French fries. So if you've eaten a French fry, um, you probably have had some some of McCain's products, Um, but they're a client and had been a client of WMFDP. And we were on a call one day, Michael and I, and our client, Sandra Kushney, who was the global and is the global DEI director at McCain. And we were looking at what could we do to really influence. And for, for McCain, it was more white or white identifying leaders to move them out of um, just expanding awareness, which is is important, but starting to help them have the analysis and the skill and the capacity to take some risks, to experiment, and to put some, some of their influence into action. And what could we create 
that would help that, that would challenge that and start to engage more more leadership in moving the dial because it can't all fall to the DEI department. That isn't the end game. We want a collaboration across organizations where we're all working together to create more belonging, more difference, um, more equity, more, more of what people need to actually flourish and thrive and succeed in the workplace. So it started on that call. Mm-hmm. Um, what could we collaborate and create together? And um, the idea just really emerged from that conversation. And I think there was there was also the presence. And often we don't talk about love in the workplace. We think about that as for our families or our partnerships. But I felt the intelligence of love and creativity in that call. Um, like there was a a deep love for the work, for one another, for what was possible. And that really grew and kept us really engaged throughout the whole time. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I I love what you said about uh, there was looking at what could be a barrier became let's move through that. And I remember some of that was around summer, summer and not wanting to do sessions and how do we, and that turned into an idea of a project time. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. creative impulse that you had in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we had some conversations with McCain executives to really get a sense of what kind of change they wanted to drive in the organization that they wanted to see and actualize. And I want to read this quote um, from Mike O'Brien, who's the president of the appetizer division at McCain Foods. I'd love to have that job. I would like eat my way through that job. But (laughs) I had a conversation with Mike early on before we even started when we were still envisioning and designing the Leadership Accelerator. And this is what Mike said. He said, I want us to bring DEI into the core of our strategy. I hope that this isn't perceived as a side job. I want to wire it into our strategy and our culture. I want us to not just attend trainings, but to apply our learnings and use it. I want us to get more comfortable with challenging each other and to know that challenge doesn't mean attack and doesn't warrant defensiveness. I want to have candid conversations. I want vulnerability and transparency. And basically what he was saying is I want DEI to be a part of our mindset a part of our day-to-day strategy and decision-making. I don't want it to just live in a training session. So whatever you can do, Annika, WMFDP, to create that, that's what we really need. And that's what we went and did. Mm. I'm also struck by um, know that challenge doesn't mean attack and need defensiveness. It's like, let's move into that action in a way that we're managing our centeredness and um not being stopped and that mm-hmm. that also ties back to love which you mentioned earlier some of that right. care care quality for ourselves and each other yeah i think the biggest thing that i see often is that we're hired in positions um because of our competency and often confidence that goes along with that and so when we start to enter into work of racial equity, of looking at our um, gender biases, of looking at class difference, all those different things, 
Um, that's a lot of new territory and new learning for all of us. And the truth is we can never have it all figured out because it's always evolving and changing and new dimensions of how we honor and include difference are, you know, emerging today. So a lot of leaders have gotten stuck waiting for competence and competence and certainty that will never come. So this program really encourages people to be in that uncertainty and that vulnerability equip them with some skills and direction and competence, but to to take a more learning and experiential and experimental um, perspective on this and saying, okay, let's put some things in play, get feedback, collaborate, learn from what we're seeing, iterate, um, and continue. There's no there's no perfection in this. There's no getting it right for everyone 100% of the time. So let's get really, as one of my teachers, um, Erica Hines says, let's, you know, stay humble and ready to fumble. And I would add, and ready to repair the relationships and take accountability if we make a misstep. But there's no way not to make a misstep in this work for anyone, no matter who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what a what a um, a unique opportunity to have a support container to grow that ability and help move through that process. So that uh, I've been kind of inoculated to do that on my own in other places because I've been able to do it in this container. Right. With my right. Mm-hmm. I can remember so many conversations, like in the you know part of, and we'll talk about the design and structure of the foundational program in a minute, but. I remember leaders coming in and sharing an idea for some change project or something they wanted to influence or create in this arena. And in the moment, we can have a conversation and the consultants and the group can help them fine tune or correct and have just in time learning. Like, yeah, let's let's include more diversity in the leadership of this project. Have you done Have you reached out to different groups? Who do you need to collaborate with? So it's not like people are are out there on their own. There's an incredible amount of feedback and support and um, guidance as well. So it's it's kind of the best of both worlds there. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Well, let's let's maybe give an overlay of the the, what it looks like from a more grounded specifics and then we can circle back to talk some more about the outcomes of it okay well this program is designed to to unfold over four to six months the first year we offered it at mccain it was a six-month program this past year we did four months not sure what we're going to come up with um this year but there's something important about practice over time and learning over time that gets applied So there can be some really powerful things that happen in our summits and our four-day labs. And there's something really, really important that needs to happen over time where we continue to show up for the learning and the unlearning. We practice skills, we learn, we iterate, we get feedback, we're in community of both support and challenge. So the program unfolds over four to six um, months. Usually we have anywhere from 24 to 28 leaders and by leaders that can be anybody that has a desire to influence change and belonging 
and diversity in their organizations. We've had C-level um, leaders, vice presidents, senior vice presidents, managers, directors um, in this program. And we're just continuing to include more and more in, at McCain. Um, but 28 leaders, and it really looks like four immersive experiential learning sessions where we learn everything from things about systemic advantage to leadership empathy, to how to lead with a DEI lens and what kind of questions and things to be looking for as we make decisions, launch initiatives, that sort of thing. So there are four in-depth learning and unlearning sessions, very experiential, very interactive, and a lot of relationship gets built in those four sessions as well. And then that's supplemented um, by three peer coaching pods where there's three to four um, folks in a pod and we meet three times. These are usually our sessions. And that's really both aimed at supporting their internal learning and transformation, but also part of what comes along with a leadership accelerator is they pick something that they want to influence, change, and move in some sort of direction. Sometimes we call that a change leadership project. But one thing I really want to make clear is it isn't necessarily adding to their work. It's something already in their influence and their um, sphere of influence and responsibility that how do they bring DEI to the forefront of that. Um, so we do those coaching sessions in addition to the immersive experiential learning sessions and their change leadership project. So that's really how it looks. Four sessions over four to six months and three one um, small group coaching pod sessions. Awesome. Thank you. And so, mm -hmm. so the a leader is going through what is uh, the McCain version is a four hour session and then somewhere in that month, coaching pod hour, four hour session, another coaching pod and that sort of rhythm. It may be like that. It, it, it just really depends on how it helpful. Sometimes we have a couple sessions and then we start in. And what's really great about it is there are coaching pods at McCain that are continuing to meet without me, without us, um, and have really formed that kind of network of support. Awesome. Well, with that structure uh, out there for folks to, what, I, what I'd like us to do now is to talk about four different outcomes that we want to share that we see as highlighted. And then at the end, we're going to circle back to some particular questions that folks often have and answer some frequently asked questions. Mm -hmm. Great. So the uh, first one, yeah, you want to- Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, moves. You know, I think we you touched on this earlier as we opened, which is that really important uniqueness of this compared to a lot of one day, two day, or even some of our four day labs, which is moving people beyond DEI awareness and intentions into action, which is also connected to accountability using that pure cod, pure, pure pod structure, as well as the ongoing spaced out sessions. You want to talk more about that? Yeah, I think that's where, you know, one of the things that comes from this leadership accelerator is I think faith and pride 
is restored and invigorated in an organization around their DEI work, because when it stays in the level of awareness and maybe even empathy and care, but there isn't, we don't see people risking, experimenting, doing something, putting something into play and actively learning. I think that's when distrust and and belief starts to wane in organizations. So it is really important that there's a way that we are able to move that awareness, that empathy, that desire to do something into experimentation, innovation, collaboration, um, iteration, and learning. And that's really what this is designed to do. And once you start to move with it, I think that the fear or perfectionism or the uncertainty that has stopped us you know, a lot of the times the way that we deal with those types of sometimes paralyzing or inhibiting emotions is to act in the face of them because then they don't have as much power. And then we start to be moved by authentic care, love, desire for belonging and to create that for the people around us and with us and, and to innovate in this area. So it is really important at this point, and I think DEI work that we really get um, committed and devoted to moving beyond what Mike said of staying in the the awareness phase. Yeah, and what he said at the end, I want vulnerability and transparency. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of just a process we're trying to do with organizations in general, which is to rehumanize them. Um, allow full our full humanness to be alive and 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 at resource and that, that it makes sense to do that as DEI leaders as we're trying to create that outcome in the organization long term where everybody yeah. can thrive. How, how can we unleash ourselves to thrive in this process of learning to take action in DEI? Yeah, when you say rehumanizing, I think that you know perfectionism is the enemy of, you know, that, that kind of movement. And when we take imperfect, uncertain, sometimes shaking in your shoes, um, action, there's a humility, there's a vulnerability, there's a need to not just be solo in this. We need our colleagues and collaborators. We need community. And that's what I've also seen happen Mm -hmm. uh, in these initiatives is people start to reach and build um, relationships with communities um, that they're they're wanting to serve and engage with, collaborate with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that one of the things one of the senior leaders at McCain told me once is like, I never knew what it meant to lead from behind mm-hmm. and being kind of a silent support and solidarity and equipping others and that that can be just as powerful and more powerful than me thinking that I've got to do it and know it all. So sometimes it means reaching out to other people Mm -hmm. and fighting them and lifting them as the center. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, the the relationships and the humility Mm -hmm. and the vulnerability, the the human spirit really comes alive. I've seen that so clearly. Um, Mm -hmm. And we start, we stop intellectually intellectualizing DEI and trying to think DEI into 
really finding it within our own spirit and our own heart, what we really care about Mm. and connecting it to this work. Yeah. So in that way, it's not, it's not learning a new value of it. It's also rediscovering where we already feel a natural passion and care for inclusion, for equity, for everybody being able to thrive and um, finding our own way into more freedom. Right. And I think one of the things that I've noticed you're really, really gifted at, Annika, is coaching those uh, coaching pods from a place of not just addressing people's project, but seeing the project as a vehicle for people to grow who they are and the beingness part of them. Yeah. You know, I, 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 every time I hear project, I start to kind of bristle because it feels so clinical. Mm-hmm. So like corporate language, which it, you know, like there's nothing wrong with that, I guess, but it's so much more than that. And as you were talking, I was thinking of one, one person um, came to heart and mind um, when a, a senior leader at, at McCain and her project really took her into the heart of what she really cared for. And that's what I'm always looking for. Where is the heart? Where is the passion? Because you need that emotional energy to sustain you. You need something bigger than you and a project to really carry you through times of uncertainty or times of making a mistake or, you know, whatever it might be. And, and she had a, had a, in her family and in her community, um, had experienced somebody that they loved choosing death by suicide mm-hmm. and really, really connected there. And then started to look and see that what the suicide rates were in Toronto with the LGBTQIA community, especially as it intersects with the Muslim community, there's a very high suicide rate. And that really captured her heart. And then she started to explore, you know, her own biases that took her right into the heart of her own religion and her church and challenging some church elders about their viewpoint Um, having to really unravel some of what she had been conditioned in and and ended up being more and more of a vocal advocate for the um, LGBTQIA pride group ERG at at McCain and started to speak out and become very visible around that. But that's what I mean about not everybody chooses that that depth that this this person did, but it has the potential. Um, to really engage much more than your mind, your heart, your soul, your history. I think about another woman that, uh, you know, grew up in an area in Canada where there was a, a indigenous community and she really saw how she kind of put her head in the sand around those issues. So she had to go back and do some, some healing, some looking, some digging starting to create relationships and rebuild that and and really took action around that. But it can be anything. You know, I think of another um, senior leader at McCain who has, you would never know it, 
um, but has some social anxiety and vulnerability. And senior leader, he said, you know, a lot of times when he's moving around the office, he goes from a point A to point B without interacting. And he realized that by him doing that, especially with people that might feel like more outsiders, he needed to make himself, again, more human, more available to reach out. So he started to kind of meander through the the, um, office and really stop and reach out and connect and not necessarily have real in-depth conversations, but starting to build that network of belonging and accessibility so that people could come to him if they were having an issue. He knew that he needed to start building that bridge. So that was part of his project. Mm -hmm. So anything um, close in, it can be relational, it can be team-oriented, group-oriented, or it can reach out into the communities that surround an organization. Now, I'm really struck by the phrase you said, network of belonging, creating a network of belonging, and that, um, um, you know, that ties to something you talk a lot about, which is emergent strategy or emerging change and what creating version pockets of the new culture throughout. Right that Mm -hmm. just emerge from these projects and it creates this ripple effect that's powerful goes back to that sense of of energy and excitement that people feel yeah i love that it's like you know prototyping the culture you desire to have within whatever the sphere of influence you have and then that can grow and spread sometimes we spend so much time trying to change existing cultures or or values or biases instead of going and creating something that's energized and exciting and, and more of what we want. And it's absolutely possible. Yeah. And I, I love that. I think that's part of what has me always love to talk about this program with clients. I'm wondering if we want to mention anything else about some of these outcomes We kind of touched a little bit on number two, you know, going from leaders go from a knowing mindset to a learning mindset. Is there anything else you want to say about that? No, I think we've talked about that one. Mm -hmm. We talked about building networks across silos and groups so that you have a network of support and challenge and inspiration and backup. One of my other teachers, um, Desiree Lynn Attaway of the Attaway Group says, build your network before you need it. Mm. So that's what starts to happen in the leadership accelerator. They folks get connected to each other, but start to expand their reach of who else can we engage, connect with, listen to. Um, Because if you wait until you really need input or support or somebody to have your back or a relationship and you haven't invested in in building that authentically, Now you're SOL. So build your network before you need it. I love that. That starts to happen in a more organic and emergent way, sometimes more authentic way mm-hmm. in this program. And then I think I spoke to, you know, the real need. You know, I know there's there's a bit of exhaustion happening. I think a lot of companies, um, you know, at the beginning of COVID and George Floyd's murder. We're like, okay, we're all getting on board. And there was kind of this expectation that we'd get this thing done in a couple of years, but this isn't a project to complete. This is this is a, a movement and a life at work 
to allow to unfold. So, you know, after a couple of years, two or three years, it's not solved. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of burnout and exhaustion. This program, I think, starts to reinvigorate people, give some, something people to really start to influence with the learning and knowledge they've gained through so many trainings and and podcasts and books that have been read in the last few years. So That's great. I remember hearing even the second year uh, at McCain of the enthusiasm and the energy and some one of the senior leaders even winning an award for yeah 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 kevin perkins who is the chief information officer he might have a new title chief security information officer something like that at mccain Um, we nominated him for the compassionate leader circle award this year and he received it i think there were 200 nominees and six or seven folks chosen and and here's another really great example. Kevin recruits tech, tech talent from around the globe and brings them into uh, the the Florenceville area in Canada, which is traditionally not very ethnically diverse and, um, you know, more of a small hometown. I think McCain is kind of the main thing going on there as far as a, a company. And um, he really started to look around and say, how do I help people really feel a sense of being able to land here and have what they need and experience some belonging because people weren't, you know, everything from what foods are available, what religious worship um, experiences and places are there. How do we help people learn how to drive in snow and ice if they've never even seen it before? I mean, he, he really took <laughs> You know, kind of at the fundamental level, what do we need to feel settled? We need to have a, a home. We need to be able to have transportation and food and, and you know, have our faith honored and places to go to worship if that's the path we choose. So, yeah, he's doing a pretty amazing project that will be multi-year and he's not doing it alone. He has collaborators and also hired someone to do listening sessions so he could really, really hear different voices and start to collaborate and co-create a different experience. I love the name of that title of the create the compassionate leader. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel when you describe that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's one of the most um, curious, humble, grounded, um, kind people that I think I've ever run across, and mm-hmm. highly talented and. Instilled, and he brought all that together. Nice. Yay, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, how about we talk about a couple questions that often come up as we talk yes. about this great product? And the first one is you know, some folks are saying we don't want to add to our leaders' already full plate. Will the projects require too much from our leadership? No. no i mean i think i think each leader is supported and connecting with what is it that is already within their sphere within their community within their heart within their team that is calling for some attention and influence and leadership and care and we just support what's already there to be able to happen in a more clear and, and effective way so no and you know, depending on 
you know, your race, your gender, your orientation, some of us need to pick up a bit more of a load and carry it. You know, Mm -hmm. I, as a white woman need to. Mm -hmm. I know I do as a white guy. Yep. Well, here's another question. How do we keep a gauge on what our leaders are doing with their change projects? We don't want this to go south. (laughs) I think I mentioned that, that, you know, before there are different checkpoints, um, you know, in the sessions that we have, but for sure in the coaching pods where each person gives an update, we, we reflect, we bring that DEI analysis to it. I ask questions and I've intervened multiple times, but all that information is also kept in a, a spreadsheet or a database And, you know, the DEI person at an organization, we can review that. They have access to that. So we can do any sort of course correcting. So far, so good. Um, That system is working fine. Yeah. Awesome. Well, another another question that comes up is what types of um, changes do you see? And is there, we mentioned, you mentioned three or four projects. Is there any other examples you want to share? Hmm. Well, the, the one that comes to mind, because I got to see some of the fruition of it, um, there was a, a white woman, um, McCain leader, her sister-in-law is Indigenous, and I'm not remembering um, the tribe at this moment. We might be able to put a link in the show notes to the school, the language school that this woman um, has created. But her sister-in-law is Indigenous, her husband is Indigenous, and she started to have more and more awareness of her white womanness in this, and but also wanted to build a more authentic relationship with her sister-in-law and support one of the only Indigenous language schools in Canada um, that this woman had created and find authentic ways um, to support that school. And she happened to be on the board of the school too. And so she just slowly started to have more and more conversations and eventually connected um, this woman and the school with Sandra Kushney. Um, And I think it was in Women's History Month, um, there was a, you know, worldwide McCain webinar where this woman came to speak and share, you know, some indigenous history, culture, pain what we can start doing and also about the school. So that one that one really speaks to relationship because I remember at one point um, this McCain leader said, I don't know why I'm not just sending this email to introduce my sister to, to Sandra and the team. And I don't know why I'm I'm not just hitting send. And we slowed it down. This is also where somatic or body wisdom comes in. And I said, rather than making yourself wrong, that you're procrastinating, what if there's wisdom in this? So as we explored it, what she got to is like, no, an email isn't the way I want to bring this together. I want to have a lot more relationship and a lot more care. So I want to be on a call, a Zoom call or something like that, and make the introduce introductions and really steward and bring a lot more, like I said, relationship care to this. So that's a great example of of a bias we have often in corporations like, oh, just send an email, you know, get these two people connected, they can start collaborating. But if you bring into 
awareness, the the relationship she had nurtured and built with her her sister-in-law, the vulnerability of what it might mean for an indigenous community to be in touch with a white-led organization like McCain, how to really bring pace and patience and care in. Um, And then to see them, Sandra and this woman and um, this indigenous school, language school leader, all on a, in a conversation together, um, I could really feel that they had put in the work to build a real relationship. Yeah. Well, we talk a lot about partnership at WMFDP and how to create partnerships that support everybody thriving. And that's a good example of that really. Attending. Yeah. And moving out of checking the box, getting something done, like here, I'll send an email. Okay. I've done my DEI work, right? It's not about performance and it's not about checking the box. And then also paying attention attention as you you interrupt some of those biases, like there is wisdom in why that email wasn't being sent. While we are talking about uh, projects and uh, I wanna just mention that you and I recorded a podcast last February, 2022 called Leading with Heart the McCain DEI Leadership Project, where we interviewed uh, two uh, senior DEI leaders, uh, well, actually leaders across McCain on their projects. And it just is a beautiful example to hear them talk about how that transformed them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's episode 28 on the Insider Outsider podcast. So a couple more questions. This is a, this is a big one that I've heard a lot of. And and people wondering and thinking this, isn't it a better investment to get more people through summits than a select group in a LAS, a leadership accelerator? Because it the same amount of money and you can have a lot of people touched for two days versus one group touched across four to six months. Mm-hmm. How would yeah, you we have to go beyond thinking what I'd say, butts and seats, mm-hmm. just systemic change? Um, because the, the work that these leaders are doing are creating ripples of change, a network of change um, and innovation and creativity throughout the organization. And I do believe that the people that they lead are being impacted and are learning a lot of the same skills that they would learn in, in a session by watching their leader take action and having that leader engage them in that kind of learning and change movement. So, you know, it really depends on where an organization is. If there's the core need is to do more awareness building, potentially summits might be the way to go. But I don't think we can compare the two because one is about awareness and the other one is about sustained relationship building and systemic and organizational change. Yeah, and I, I I go back to Margaret Mead's quote, never underestimate the power of a small group of people to change the world and how inspiring it is to watch a core group, a cohort, and, you know, 30-ish people one year, 30 more the next year, or however often, what frequency, all the other people feeling that and feeling inspired versus hearing people go through a pr- process that gets people through awareness and some practice of skills, and then often they're on their own to mm-hmm. continue and uh, um, 
or get stalled out on some of these challenges around perfectionism and other things that you mentioned. So thank you for that. One more question, then I'll invite any closing thoughts. Um, our internal DEI staff's time is maxed out. Will this require much time on their behalf to administer, especially with all the coaching pods? Yeah, no, I I don't think so. I mean, not not any more than any other training that might get scheduled. I put the onus on the coaching pods. So we schedule our first coaching pod session when we're in session one of the, you know, more immersive experiential learning sessions. They're put into those groups and they schedule the first session. And I make sure that the next session is scheduled at the end of each coaching pod so that that doesn't become an administrative burden. That was really important at McCain because Sandra has been the sole DEI department without, I don't think, much admin support. She is just onboarding a new manager actually this week, which is exciting. Um, but it's important to us that we figure out ways to put, and, and again, how do we keep the accountability and the responsibility with those leaders instead of the DEI department? Exactly, yeah. I really appreciate your sharing wisdom reflections and uh, it's a little bit of a, a journey back to that first year I shared with you. And mm -hmm. appreciate the, continued excitement I feel and others and you and um, I just want to appreciate you for your continued innovation as you continue to as lead designer change and innovate grow uh, each year I know you're always out there looking at trends out there in what's happening in the culture and how does this continue to grow in emergent ways mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. definitely we want to be tracking how is this body of work emerging and changing, but also how do we really stay with the basics and embody, um, I, I love this other quote, which is, you know, we perform at the level of practice. So this is not a one and done, oh, we get the, we get race now, or we get gender now. Like there are so many levels of depth to our understanding and our embodiment so that we can, when it counts, we can show up with voice, with courage, in solidarity. So yeah, I'm grateful for being here and look forward to working with more people that decide to engage WMFDP um, and bring the Leadership Accelerator to their, their culture, their organization. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining. Appreciate it, as always. The Indigenous Leader an elder that Annika referenced earlier in this podcast is Lisa Pearly Dutcher a Wallace Stowaway Maliseet woman from Tobik First Nation in New Brunswick, Canada. Thank you for listening to the Insider Outsider podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. We at WFTP and FTP Global specialize in getting insiders to understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders as well as outsiders in building inclusive teams and organizations. Our work takes us around the globe, transforming people and companies towards a more inclusive world. For the show notes about this podcast and more about the work of WMFTP and FTP Global, visit wmfdp.com slash podcast.